Welcome to the Knowing Podcast. We're here to talk about healing, about insight, about cultivating and living from our own internal wisdom, and about the intention to live beautifully and compassionately as a human being during these times. We're really happy you're here. Hey everyone, welcome to The Knowing. Uh, Welcome back. Welcome back to you and to me. (laughs) And uh, um, I, yeah, it's been a long time since I was here. I think the last episode I put out was sometime in June and then rather unceremoniously sort of exited stage left and um, and then you never heard from me again. I'm pretty sure that even in the last episode I may have uh, offered <laughs> that there were some episodes that were going to be following that one and then they just didn't happen, did they? So um, I am here in December and uh, six months later, I'm here to explain myself and to try to redeem myself to you, my uh, lovely listeners. So uh, how do I explain what's happening, what's been happening in the last while? Um, well, we'll go back to June. I had, I, I did have two episodes. Allison and I had two episodes recorded for uh, for release um, after the last one that was put out. And my husband's computer ate one of them, which was really exciting. And then the second one, um, Allison and I had had a whole bunch of conversations about some some planning we were trying to put into place for the summer. Uh, she was actually thinking about, and I was hoping that she would be able to come to British Columbia and do some workshop offering with me in August. And that sounded really exciting. And we were really stoked on the podcast about that. And then um, as it got further into the summer and restrictions continued to uh, happen and roll out in British Columbia and it was became obvious that running a workshop was not going to happen. Um, I then really didn't want to put out that episode because uh, it wasn't true anymore. So so we held on to that. And then, you know, the realities of um, the way that our life works here is it's pretty sweet and mellow here through the winter season and then spring hits and it's like, planting and gardens and all manner of shit goes totally fantastically crazy. So yeah, I just didn't, um, well, I kept meaning to, but I I didn't come back to this platform and I apologize. And I know I kind of left things uh, hanging on many aspects, I suppose. And so wanted to start this season, season three, by um, doing a solo podcast and uh, doing a little bit of what I hear other podcasters call their housekeeping of just uh, attending to some stuff that maybe you have questions about or that I should probably get uh, clarity on. So, so welcome back. Um, It's just me here, Seattle, and um, it's going to be me and guests in this this season. Um, My beautiful friend Allison has decided that she wanted to focus on her personal work. Um, and, and I'm so deeply appreciative for everything that she offered in the podcast, as I'm sure you are. And I would encourage you to continue following her work. You can find her on Instagram. My last name is Strickland. And, uh, yeah, so this season is going to be a little bit different, um, different style of dialogues. And then also, I have in the works some some plans for a few solo podcasts, stuff that I've been working on for a while, some practice podcasts, 
and some kind of deep dive podcasts, and I hope this sounds interesting to you because I'm stoked about putting this together, um, podcasts that where I'm going to take sort of uh, singular conditions or, you know, more allopathic diagnoses and break them down through the lens of the integrated system that I work within and the shamanic worldview and offer, you know, a conceptualization of, of what is actually happening in those, in those symptoms and, and syndromes, and then um, some treatment protocols and practices and kind of the way that I would work with a client who's presenting with those kind of experiences. So I, I really love doing this and, and breaking it down. I mean, certainly it's a little bit Difficult to do because each individual uh, requires a, a highly individualized um, protocol and, and approach. But I think that there's some really um, interesting and hopefully useful aspects of, of how a mind, body, spirit and environment uh, integrated uh, health and healing system approaches uh, what we consider to be a, a Western sort of disease. So so that's going to be included in this um, in this season, and and the overarching theme of the season is um, healing and really asking the question. <laughs> so I sound quite asinine saying that, like, "Oh, you came to this podcast and you expected anything other than healing," but we're going to be talking about healing. Um, but I'm really wanting to ask the question and ask the question of guests and ask the question of. Um, sort of all of us to reflect on our ideas of what is healing, what is medicine, because I feel that we are at a um, perhaps critical time in our civilization where we need to be asking some really fundamental questions about the uh, structures that that dominate our systems and and the way that we are conceptualizing things like education, things like leadership and medicine and, um, you know, human purpose and, and really big questions. And, and these are, you know, in, in a sense, kind of unanswerable questions. And I, I like asking those kind of unanswerable questions. And I like the exploration. That's the whole point of asking the question is just going, well, you know, what else is possible? Um, and and can we approach these institutions within our civilization uh, from a very curious and open-minded and and critical perspective? So I am super excited about the people that I'm lining up for the season and have a really awesome interview as the, the first one coming up next week it'll be released. So so yeah, um, we're gonna we're gonna explore this idea and and as always, I encourage you as a listener to reach out to me, please, on Instagram or you can send me an email just at uh, hello at the knowing.ca if you like. And let me know if there's questions that you'd like to explore or you know you want to put forward as as an idea to investigate. So so that's gonna be the next while. I never really have any idea how long a season's gonna last, but it generally starts when I feel inclined and ends when I'm no longer so inclined. So um I hope you're on board with that. And yeah, a lot of it's gonna be me sitting in this room by myself. Um, telling jokes to myself and then laughing at myself because that is often what I'm really good at. So I hope you guys are entertained by this. A um, couple things. Uh, I know that I had mentioned last, good God, last winter uh, about the new deck or the new cards for the deck. There's two new cards in the second edition of the deck. 
and um, the reprint of the entire deck. And then those of you who have the previous edition of the deck would be able to buy the two cards on their own. And I was supposed to be shipping those out in the spring. And because of uh, global transportation problems, whatnot, it was a rather difficult thing to get the decks actually um, delivered to Vancouver. And then I picked them up, drove down and picked them up. And I got home and opened them up and they uh, were horrible. Um, <laughs> it's hard to even describe. They were printed crooked. Um, the, bo the boxes, which are, are wood, were covered in sawdust. And then the sawdust was sealed inside of the plastic wrapping. And the book, uh, they, the printers had decided to use a different paper quality. So the books are super cheap and really hard to read. And it's it's been awful. So I have been in, um, what's a nice word to describe this? Deliberations, um, um, sort of conflict negotiation with the company to try to get the decks replaced. I think we are nearing a deal um, where I'm hoping they're going to be shipping me uh, some to replace the large order that I had received. And so uh, as of right now, I don't have the decks and I apologize. And I'm so sorry for those of you who've been waiting and I've had people reaching out on Instagram. So um, I'm hoping that, again, barring transportation issues, I should have them by maybe March, um, and then I will be announcing when they are available. So thanks so much for all of you who have been waiting and super patient with that. And my apologies again. It's uh, It's been a bit of a headache. So um, yeah, I think, oh, oh, and I have, um, I have a course that I, it's weird to even call it a course because it's like so not linear in, in the sense of our sort of contemporary understanding of what an educational course would mean. But um, I have been having these very, very clear and really interesting and often very funny messages because my guides are super funny, um, telling me about the sort of necessity, I suppose, or the possibility of putting together a course um, focused on assisting people through an initiatory process. And these messages really started coming up sometime in the spring and then really intensified and it became clearer and clearer kind of what I was being compelled to put together and it became really exciting to think about actually is um, offering as best as I, to the best of my ability, a sort of systematized approach to um, the initiation into in what in shamanic practice we would call um, the path of power in other lineages, you know, maybe called the uh, the connection with the true self or as you know Bill Plotkin calls it the descent to the soul. And really sort of compiling my own personal experience over the last 20 years of um, uh, personal <laughs> breakdowns and and chaos, and then in the last fifteen years of the um, really beautiful and and deeply appreciated instruction that I've received from several Indigenous and non-Indigenous teachers and several lineages on how to step into our our power and our medicine, really. And um, this is it's going to be a video course. It's it'll be eight videos, and then we'll include. Um, 
16 different meditations and worksheets. Uh, and so it'll be uh, unveiled to those of you who want to engage with it over the course of eight weeks. And again, it's it's really, it's not a linear sort of A to B experience, but really just an offering of tools and practices and, and a container to uh, engage with initiation, because it is my personal perspective and an experience that I feel that we as a civilization, the Western civilization, have intentionally or unintentionally uh, blocked the support and the practices and the perspectives necessary for to assist an individual in going through this kind of spiritual initiation, the, the initiation into their so-called true adulthood, where we transcend the ego self and are able to align ourselves consciously with principles and ways of being um, that are, they're not based on the the fear and avoidance tactics of the ego self, but our conscious decisions that we make and, and uh, a commitment to impeccability that allows us to really understand ourselves and the gifts and the medicine that we are meant to give to the system. And as a result, I think we are suffering deeply um, and as a collective and as an individuals because this is a what I would consider a human birthright, right? This transformation into this sort of next phase of our experience as, as human adults. Um, but we often lack access to the teachers and again, the, the teachings and the practices. And I am super lucky that I've been offered these. And so I want to, with great humility, share them with you. So... So this is going to be coming out in uh, February, if I get my shit together, and March, if I don't. Um, but we'll just say February for right now, and we'll aim for that. And uh, my intention as well is to put together a, um, a live, it'll be online, but a live medicine group as well for those of you who want to do a more intensive uh, exploration of these ideas and practices. And that would be kind of a Zoom-based experience. And I'll give more information about that. A super limited, very small group um, that will be walking through the actual initiatory experience and, and perspectives again. So if you are interested in in being part of a, a medicine group, please send me a message. You can message me on Instagram. Um, and if I don't get back to you, sometimes I'm really bad about checking that magic space or box where like they hide the messages from you and I forget that sometimes those are going there so just keep messaging me and at some point I will respond or you can send me again an email at hello at the knowing.ca and and just let me know that you want to be on the list for that and again I hope that this is going to be I intend that this will be offered in March and I really look forward to doing some intensive medicine work with with a group. Um, I really miss that. I'm, I miss people um, in a big way. And I'm, I think, pretty lucky because not much of our life has really changed that much with pandemic restrictions. But um, one of the things that I have not been able to do is facilitate medicine groups, which is something that I've been doing for, good God, six years or something prior to the pandemic hitting and well, prior to having a second child too, that threw things off the course. But um, yeah, I'm just so excited about connecting with people about these, these ideas and practices. So um, I think that's all the uh, housekeeping that I have um, on task, but I wanted to 
be a little bit provocative today and maybe set the stage uh, for the conversations that are going to roll out through the season and and you know maybe <laughs> maybe kind of put front and center um, my perspectives and how I'm approaching this question of of what is healing is the again, with a very critical lens of, of what is being presented to us often in our modern society as medicine and as healing. And I'm going to out myself um, here as someone who is deeply critical of the so-called science that is being utilized within our medical practices right now. And I hope that you won't right away write me off as, as some kind of quack because I'm pretty sure that I'm not. Um, but I do have great distrust and um, a lack of faith in our medical establishments right now. And I'm going to give you a little bit of personal story and a little bit of historical story um, to frame this. And and again, I, I hope that you can listen to this with an, with an open mind and ears and recognize that I offer it with, you know, again, as much humility as possible that I don't know what is right or wrong by any means, but I do know what feels and is uh, aligned and misaligned within my own personal um, value system and code of conduct. And there are things, again, within our medical system that are immensely, entirely misaligned in, in the way that I think of uh, human experience and the flourishing of our entire world. So this might seem a bit tangential, but I want to start with a personal story. And uh, <laughs> it's funny, I actually, I didn't think I'd feel emotional talking about this. But when I was about, I think I was about 21, I met this guy and he was uh, super tall and ridiculously good looking. And and I can't believe I just said that, but ridiculously good looking and really rich and super popular and everybody, you know, just thought he was amazing. And, and we met um, and fairly instantly fell into a relationship and uh, had this like, you know, kind of whirlwind romance of the, that maybe only 20 year olds are capable of. But it was, you know, I'd moved in with him after three weeks and we were inseparable and we were always, you know, just wanted to do everything together and never argued and and just had this like sublime sort of experience and connection with each other and and you know early on in the relationship there were a few kind of subtle cues that um made me feel a little bit uncomfortable but I wasn't you know I I did, didn't really react to it I I'd never been in a relationship um with anyone where it had been you know really dysfunctional or or abusive in any way. But, you know, every once in a while, he'd say things to me like, he'd talk about, you know, this super beautiful woman that had had hit on him or, you know, somebody who was trying to date him. And and he'd tell me this. And, and I remember thinking like, oh, well, yeah, okay, sure, you're good looking. Of course, people would throw themselves at you or something. You know, I, I didn't even pause um, but he would say these things every once in a while, and and that was kind of it. And as our it was a complex and complicated situation. But as our relationship progressed, I had gone and worked on a 
cruise ship and came back and he had um, decided that he was going to see other people, you know, which was devastating to me. And it was a very sort of strange situation where he'd still send me emails while I was away about how much he loved me and blah, blah, blah. So, but when I returned home, I think he probably had two or three girlfriends, uh, alternate girlfriends at the time, but then immediately, you know, was telling me how I was the, the greatest love and that he needed to be with me. And, and our relationship be, started to become more and more distorted, where I was increasingly required to tolerate uh, things that he was doing. Like one of his girlfriends would come to, and he wouldn't call them his girlfriends, but someone that he was seeing kind of on the side, he would come to town and he would tell me that I would have to not be in our house that weekend. And I I know this seems crazy. It seems crazy now to reflect on it, that he would actually tell me, because at the time I was staying at his place, which we had lived in before I'd, I'd left and came back. And anyways, I was staying there, but he'd say, we have to go somewhere else and you can't be here for the weekend because this woman is coming to town, but we're not, we're not doing anything, you know, but you just can't be around because it'll upset her. And now, I mean, like looking back, I'm like, holy shit, how did I actually put up with this? But it, it was like this insidious kind of experience of, of being boiled slowly, you know, is that you tolerate things. And at the same time as he would do these things, he would tell me with increasing frequently or frequencies things like, you know, my friends, um, they don't think you're good looking enough for me to be dating. And, you know, all these other people are, are so much more attractive and so much cooler. And, you know, like, I think if I get dressed up, I'm pretty cute, but I'm certainly no supermodel. And, you know, to hear that, it, it confirmed and, and affirmed to me, you know, already pre-existing ideas I had, you know, and, and sort of preyed upon these insecurities that I had. And, and so he would start telling me these things. And then then he started, you know, saying things to me like, you know that I, I'm the best thing that you'll ever get, you know, because he would position himself as as being so above me and, and talk about how, you know, I wasn't enough for him, basically. And he would put up pictures of these women that he was dating, um, of their like modeling pictures and stuff in, in his house and then tell me that I should be okay with it, you know. And and after a while I was, you know, in this really fucked up way, I was like, right, because I am nothing and this is the best thing that I will ever get. And, you know, he he would pinch my body and and tell me like where I needed to lose weight and like point out like parts of my body that he didn't approve of and stuff. And and this this went on for two and a half years. Um culminating in me actually moving to he'd taken a job in in the Caribbean in Antigua and I moved down there twice um while he was still you know communicating with all these other women and stuff and um the last time I ever saw him because it got so bad you know that he would like lock me either inside or outside of the house and he would like climb out the the uh patio doors on the second floor of our house and go out without me and not tell me. And, you know, like it was, it was insane. It was a very, very toxic situation. Um, and then one morning I just, I dropped him off at work and I've never seen him again because I realized the extent to which my psychological state had been compromised. I was super depressed by that point. I had, uh, sold everything, you know, to move down to the Caribbean. I had nothing. I dropped out of school. I was an absolute disaster. And, 
there I was left with these narratives that he had spun for me that, you know, he was the best thing and I was nothing. And without him, you know, I would be even more nothing. And so I needed to tolerate what he was doing. And I mean, I'm sure you can see the qualities and the the nature of an abusive relationship when I articulated like this. And, you know, now having 20 years of distance from this, it like, I have, so I know how crazy maybe this might seem. I have no hard feelings towards this person. And I'm certain that I was a totally batshit crazy person on, on good days as well. But to, to see the dynamic that occurs, you know, the insidious dynamic that occurs in an abusive situation like that, where a person's faith in themselves and their own wisdom and inner knowing is compromised um, and then preyed upon. And and I offer this, and I know this is going to sound super harsh, but this is what I think our medical system is doing to us right now. Because if you look at the roots of uh, allopathic, of Western medical practice, okay? Um, in about 1900, you know, most of the medical schools, all of the medical schools, in fact, in, in Canada and the United States were utilizing um, indigenous wisdom in their healing practices. They were utilizing herbs. They were looking at diet. They were looking at nutrition. There was this immense interest in uh, nutritional protocols, you know, early in the in the 20th century, we were treating schizophrenia very effectively with you know zinc and 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 nutritional pr- practices and diet changes and and you know the the perspective on healing was quite holistic. You know, and and I imagine had some components of the the spiritual aspect of of healing. Something that I really focus on with people with clients. Um, I don't know that for certain, but at, at least in the med schools, you know, there was there was a lot of interest and a lot of exploration happening around, you know, how do we improve human well-being through through nutrition, through natural and and holistic means. And I'm sure you've heard of a guy named uh, John D. Rockefeller. And around 1900, um, this guy, Rockefeller, who I, at the time was the richest person, I think, in the world or in the United States at least, uh, he owned about 90% of the the crude oil refineries in the United States. And he, um, uh, they, they had started to synthesize vitamins and nutrients and, and medications um, and realized that they could do this from oil. It was a, a, an amazing sort of real revelation that you could actually make these things from petroleum products. This is where a lot of pharmaceuticals actually come from, is, is from uh, their petroleum-based. And so this dude already rich, but having an incredible capacity for seeing a, a business opportunity, hired a guy named, uh, his last name was Flexner in 1910. And he was hired by Rockefeller to do, as an external consultant, uh, to do an assessment of the medical schools in the United States, and then send that report to Congress. Okay. So obviously there's a little bit of, um, a, I don't know, um, influence here where like Rockefeller was doing this for a particular reason, right? 
Um, and he got, I think, what he wanted out of it was that the so-called Flexner report came back to Congress and said, you know, there's too many med schools. They're super unscientific, right, um, because they're using these uh, holistic means and, and, you know, traditional medicines and stuff. And we need to clean up the medical association and we need to make sure that everything is standardized and that the schools are all teaching the same thing. And basically, to any school that was given or that was teaching diet and nutrition and, you know, herbalism and indigenous healing practices and stuff, those schools were given a kind of failing grade on this report. And within five years, all of them were closed. Okay. And from that point forward, all of the med schools, at least in the United States, but I imagine certainly in, in uh, Canada, became funded by organizations uh, like pharmaceutical companies and other uh, established organizations that gave, quote unquote, donations to these schools in order for the schools then to uh, allow them to influence what was being taught in the schools. Okay, So they were only then teaching the science, and I am using air quotes here, but the science that was approved of by the pharmaceutical companies and the allopathic associations. Okay. So everything related to diets and everything related to non-drug treatment protocols was removed from these these, uh, educational centers. And not only did Rockefeller, you know, coordinate this, he also then created a bunch of coordinated smear campaigns where, you know, it became that you were going to be jailed if you utilized or practiced as a doctor um, any sort of holistic or natural treatments for diseases. I mean, this is still the way it is. If if I, as a holistic practitioner, went out and said that I could cure cancer, I would be put in jail. And if that doesn't make you a little bit suspect, then I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't going to be interesting to you. But I think that that's profoundly insane, that our medicine has been controlled by this industry, by a business, because it is a business. It has nothing to do with healing, quite honestly, when it comes to pharmaceutical medications that are used in a chronic or a long-term sense. I am not by any means uh, smearing, you know, medications that have a a one-off use. Um, Certainly there is an application for those in certain circumstances. And oh my God, what uh, Western medicine has done with surgery and and emergency medicine is profound and unbelievable. But it is now that we are, as a population, just like I was in that relationship, being told that this is the best medicine possible. And that is bullshit. And I, I know how intense I sound right now, but I've actually gotten to the point where I'm getting quite ill with the fact that I spend a majority of my life with clients trying to help them mitigate the side effects of the medication that their doctors have put them on. And this is insane. You know, this is not healing to have to take something to deal with the side effect from the other thing that you're taking so that you're controlling the symptom. And healing is never actually happening. Healing does not create other side effects that then you have to manage. That is that is not what I would consider an actual healed or healing experience. Okay. And so, yeah, I hope that I don't sound super aggro here because... I want this to be um, meaningful and functional dialogues, you know, for us to actually stop as a collective again and say, like, 
what are we doing? You know, I mean, the, the, you know, if you look at the overall health of our civilization right now, we have this explosion of mental health issues, explosion of chronic health, explosion of autoimmune health um, conditions and, and challenges. And yet we're still kind of like I was in that relationship saying, this is the best that we can have, right? This is as good as it gets. And I personally, I mean, I, I have a lot of uh, friends who are doctors and I know people who are, are chemists and do amazing work. And I think that there, I don't think there's, well, maybe there are some, some really bad faith players in this process, but the majority of people that I know that went into med school went in because they wanted to help, they wanted to heal. And like, what magic would happen if we extracted ourselves from this pharmaceutical hegemony, you know, that I see it as, um, that is telling us that this is what healing is all about is managing symptoms and preventing disease through the, the, you know, styles or, or, um, processes that they call prevention, which I don't entirely agree with. Um, what if those people's minds, you know, some of the most intelligent and capable members of our civilization who go into med school or who go into pharmaceutical practice and chemistry, we're actually looking at holistic healing because we cannot keep denying the spirit in our civilization. And that's what we are doing. That is what science, as it's often practiced in a reductionist sense, requires us to do. It Because you can't prove questions of spirit through science. And that, that is what makes the ineffable so magical, is that it is ineffable. Spirit is ineffable. You cannot speak about it. You cannot distill it down through a double-blind placebo-controlled trial into something that you can, you know, offer as a as a pill or, you know, that is going to work the same for every single person. And this civilization is killing us. This, this parasitic, you know, like system of medicine is actually killing us. And it's telling us that this is the best that we can get. And again, I call bullshit. And I call like all of us to task in actually asking what is healing, you know, and, and how do we get there? And what have we been missing in our present um, model of healing? And what can we extract from what we have right now that is meaningful and beautiful and powerful? But how do we move into the next phase of, of our human civilization and, and, and experience um, and, and really recognize the need for for true healing and and what does that look like and what does it require so um apparently i'm on a little bit of a soapbox these days but you know i have many of these conversations in my head so i might as well be saying them out loud and i really hope that you can hear this the way that i mean it is that i just want it to be um a space to have dialogue and a space to explore ideas and um my my first guest certainly you're gonna have some maybe some some challenges offered to your pre-existing ideas um but i think this is what we need right now is to to shake ourselves up and really look at where we're where we are you know i i remember the morning that i was getting ready to leave my partner and i hadn't told him and i'd set up to go and live with someone that i'd met uh, on the island and I was just going to hide out on their place for at their place for two weeks and then get on this plane and I remember just laying in bed going oh my god like 
I can't believe this is where I'm at, right? And it was terrifying. And part of me honestly wanted to just kind of stay in the relationship because, um, you know, it was what I'd known and it was familiar. And I had all these immense doubts about my own capacity and worth at that point, you know? And, and, and so I did, I, I kind of wanted to just hide out and, and just stay because it, it was fam- just, I don't know, kind of oddly comfortable. And, and that's what we know about abusive relationships is that it is this, again, very gradual decay of a person's sense of their capacity to, to um, have better, to feel better, to, to think better about themselves until they are a shell of their former self. And I, I do really think that our, our contemporary medical system, it, it, you know, you go into your doctor and say, I'm feeling sad and they don't see that as meaningful. They don't see it as like, oh, wow, this is this is an important symptom that we don't want to suppress. This is your body trying to speak to you and trying to give you a message that we need to be able to understand. We have to translate it and, and utilize it and, and, you know, respond appropriately to it. And, you know, I, I think a lot about... Um, colonization in a broad sense, you know, colonization as a, as an idea, not as a sort of a set of people, I suppose, that are utilizing this, but like, how does colonization, the act of colonizing, of, of going to another, um, group or entity or space and saying that, you know, better than that space does about how it sh- things should be happening there. And when I think about Western medication that's used in a chronic sense, right, or a, a perpetual sense, that's what it's doing. It's, you know, you put a, an antidepressant in a system, in a body that is depressed. The medication is saying the body doesn't know what it's doing. It, it is stupid. It's somehow, you know, lower than the, the medication because the medication knows how to fix your brain chemistry. And it overrides that sim- signal, you know, that the body is offering, that the mind is offering to say, hey, I need to, to you to pay attention to this. And I mean, you know, Christ, there, there's like studies out of Japan that I read years ago that found that about 80% of the people that were experiencing, it was, I think, mostly women in the study that were experiencing depression symptoms were actually iron deficient, you know, and, and like, I'm not saying always that it's, it's, I think there's spirit in, in everything and a spiritual experience that, that is beneficial to attend to, but sometimes it's just, it is actually chemical and it's very deeply scientific to say, yeah, you know, we need more iron or maybe we need far less omega-6s in our diet, far fewer, and then far more omega-3s. I mean, this is science and and certainly there's huge sections of western medicine and and functional medicine that have been moving in this direction which is wonderful but i'd argue that they don't integrate the the spiritual as as um fully as i would propose it needs to be so uh, what i'm proposing is is a, a claiming of our agency as individuals um and an extraction from a system that tells us that our bodies don't know how to heal and that we have to sort of submit to, you know, the the science of of this kind of outer uh, pharmaceutical agent um, in order to be functional as human beings. And I disagree. And I am done with it. So I will stop there because that's quite enough. Um, yeah. 
I hope that this is interesting to you. And I really hope I haven't turned you off. And, and if I have, I apologize. But that's just, uh, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. And sometimes I, I can be a bit of a loud mouth. So I hope that you can still think of me as a friend and know how much I care. And yeah, thanks for listening and engaging with this. And I really look forward to these conversations and just hope that you're doing really well in your life and, and having the transformative experiences that I think this time is, is offering to us. We are in the midst of the most momentous transformation, you know, of consciousness, hopefully. And, and I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I don't love the word hope, but I got my fingers crossed and and doing everything I possibly can to um, encourage this transformation because we cannot keep experiencing ourselves and our world and each other and life with the same perspectives that have led us to this point. And it's going to require a huge process. And uh, the coursework that I'll be putting out and everything from this point forward is oriented towards that intention. So with immense love, thanks so much. And I will talk to you soon. The Knowing is an IntelliKey production and was recorded and produced on the traditional unceded territory of the Northern Sequipnik people. All music, editing and production by Brent Morton at Bell Tower Audio. May our hearts and minds remain open. May we meet this day with equanimity and compassion. And may we remember our belonging to this earth, to each other, and to all that is. Mm-hmm.